As, uh, as our servers come forward to receive the offering, I would like to ask uh, Dee and Holly Dowler to join me up here, please. Um, last Sunday, go ahead and come on down, y'all. Um, last Sunday, uh, we completed the Excel uh, generosity campaign, and uh, we were excited to do that. And so every uh, Sunday this month during offering time, uh, we want to celebrate just what God did here at Chapel Rock over the last few years through through our generosity. Uh, and so I've asked Dee and Holly Dollar, they were part of that campaign, uh, to, to join us. I'll hand that to you. And um, just kind of want, for those that don't know you guys, how long have you been part of Chapel Rock? We started coming to Chapel Rock in 2003, so we're going on 14 years now. Oh, wow. Very good. Okay, cool. What When, when this campaign launched a couple years ago, what was it about the campaign that really... Uh, caught your attention, that it got you excited? Uh, well, I think the initial appeal for us kind of was twofold. I mean, um, we liked the fact that we could see tangible things as far as the roof and mm -hmm. the resurfacing of the parking lot, but also um, what really appealed to me was, was thinking that, you know, I could give this little nominal amount extra and uh, coupled along with what everybody else is giving, and God could use that and multiply that um, to impact not just the church but the community, hopefully for generations to come. Okay. So. Awesome. Now, don't give us any specifics on numbers and stuff, but what, what practical steps did you guys take to go to the next level in your giving? That was part of the language that we used, was just uh, encouraging us to go to the next level, uh, whatever that was. And so what did you guys do, just on a practical level, uh, just to encourage your brothers and sisters here who might be thinking about that? Well, the first thing is, uh, years ago, um, we've, we came up, came to the conclusion that we would never let money come between us and God. Uh, so with that as our foundation, when the Excel program came in place, we knew right away that there was something we were going to do to help out as much as possible. And so we got together and we talked about the needs around here and the things that we could do for God's kingdom. And then we actually went our separate ways and, and uh, decided to go pray on our own and um, come up with a, an amount and get back together and find out where we were you know, as in, in our marriage and what we decided would, would be best. And so we came back and we actually came up with the exact same amount, Whoa. which made it nice. Awesome. And uh, we felt good and our hearts felt great. And we, uh, we were excited. We were very excited that we were on the same page and that we could help out and, and definitely help build the kingdom of God. Yeah. So tell me, over the last couple of years, just how have you seen God's blessing in your life as you've been faithful and going to the next level in your giving? Well, let me preface that briefly by saying um, during the Excel campaign and even, uh, you know, a couple years prior leading up to the Excel campaign, um, our mortgage doubled. I cut my hours at work in half. Wow. Uh, we paid for a daughter to go to four years of college and he was getting his administrator's license. So <laughs> our expenses were increasing yeah. and the money we were bringing in was decreasing. So um, among that, I mean, God's provision just never stopped. And I just like to, um, I, I kind of think about the widow in, in the Old Testament mm -hmm. who was on her, you know, she, she didn't have anything left. She had, was feeding Elijah her last, her last meal. Right. And God just did not let that flour and oil run out. And I just kind of look back and think, you know, I didn't think about it during the, at the time, but, but having time to sit back and reflect, I mean, I just think, you know, whether we got a pay raise or we got a bonus at Christmas time or we, you know, we sold a vehicle and got probably twice as much out of it than it was really worth. I mean, God's provision just never stopped. And it's, wow. it's been amazing to just kind of be the recipient of his overflowing blessing. Awesome. So. Hey, would you praise God for everything he's done? That's awesome. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. So much. You're Appreciate welcome. that. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. When... Uh, 
when my kids were little, uh, each of them dealt with new situations in different ways. Um, they, uh, oh, but before we I tell you this story, uh, one thing I do need to make you aware of, uh, one kind of housekeeping thing, uh, we're going to be making a significant upgrade to the lighting system in here, repairing some, some older uh, stuff. Uh, this coming week's work should start tomorrow morning, first thing. Um, and so uh, next Sunday, uh, all we, our lights will do one of two things. They will be on or they will be off. Uh, so, uh, so next Sunday, we won't have some of the fancy stuff that you're used to. It should just be one week. Uh, might be two, but should just be one. So just next Sunday, just come in knowing that things will be a little bit different that way. Uh, we're going to be making some improvements, some enhancements to the building. We're, we're excited about some of the new capabilities that will give us in the future, but I uh, did want to make you aware of that. Now, let me tell you the story. Um, when the kids were little, and I, and I stress young, li- little people, um, each one of them dealt with new situations in different ways, okay? Uh, our oldest, Emma, would uh, w- want to study it. She'd want to learn everything she could about what we were going to be doing. Eli uh, would want to have a conversation about it. He'd want to talk with somebody. He, he loves, uh, he's much more social. And, and um, Aaron would want to tell a story about it or hear someone tell a story about it. Aaron loves stories. Evan would somehow try to relate the situation to the powers of a superhero. Um, he just turned five. And, and Ezra will just whine and point till he gets what he wants. Um, <laughs> he's one and a half. Now, you, know, you may notice I only listed five. We have six. Uh, I did not talk about Eden. Eden, uh, when she was younger, the, the middle of our three girls, had, somehow she managed to get the just jump in there and figure it out as you go gene. And, uh, and when she was younger and learning to swim, that was on display several times. <laughs> One day, uh, we were at a friend's house. We were swimming in their pool. And I was already in the water with Emma and Eli. And Deb was over by the house getting Eden prepped and ready. At least I thought that's where she was. Next thing I know, there's a splash behind me, and my little kid is sinking to the bottom. <laughs> she had managed to get loose, and she's going to swim. Whew, you know, and like, you don't know how. She just jumped in. So naturally, I freaked out and reached up and pulled her, and she's coughing and sputtering, but she's fine. And, um, you know, she seemed a little shocked that I didn't just catch her, that I didn't just know that she was going to do that. I'm like, I'm not your mother. Um, <laughs> She seemed a little surprised. I said, honey, you have to tell me that you're going to do that. You have to tell me. I'll catch you, but you have to tell me. (laughs) And so she did, repeatedly, (laughs) for the next hour. She'd jump in, get out. Daddy, I jump and just go. Whether I'm looking or not, she'd just, warning, and then she'd go. And you know, as I have gotten older, I think that's the kind of faith that God may want from his children. Daddy, I jump, and we just go, and we trust the future to him. I believe God wants us to have a forward-facing faith. If you've got your Bibles, open them to Genesis 15. 
That's our text for today, Genesis chapter 15. I want to thank you for being here. Uh, summer has started, saw lots of graduation pictures. Ben Davis graduated yesterday, so congrats to them. Uh, summer's in full swing. So every Sunday uh, through the summer, I'm really glad that you're here. Thanks for being here today. Uh, if you're new here, if it's your first time, when we're all done, I'll be right down here, and I would love to meet you personally. I just want to say hi and thank you for being here. And uh, Maybe it's not your first time, but you're kind of new, and I'd still love to greet you. And If you're joining us online, thank you from lo- for logging in from wherever you are. Uh, if you're local, we'd love to have you visit us on site. want to encourage you to, to hang in there all the way through today and, uh, and just keep watching. But we're, we're grateful that you're here today. We're continuing a sermon series on the life of Abraham, as John said earlier, uh, looking at this uh, man of faith. For, for really three religions in the world, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, Abraham is kind of the paragon of what it means to be a faithful believer in God. And so last week we looked at how Abraham trusted God in a very plain, very simple way. Today we're going to look at a time that Abraham was struggling to keep his faith focused on the future. And as we read the text, I want you to listen for the questions that Abraham asks God. All right, so as we read this passage, you listen for the questions that Abraham is asking. After this, now that's referring to the events of chapter 14. That's where Lot gets caught up in a, a political struggle. He gets captured, and Abraham has to uh, take his private army off and go rescue his nephew. Okay? So after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord... What can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Now, he's reflecting on the promise God made back in chapter 13 to make his descendants as numerous as the dust. (laughs) He's saying, you promised that, but I don't have any kids. Verse 4, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now I want you to think about a world before artificial light. You ever been camping way out in the middle of nowhere? You turn off all the lights and you look up. The stars are brighter, aren't they, when you get away from the city? (laughs) That didn't exist back then. Beyond a candle or a torch, all you have is starlight, moonlight. So as beautiful as we think the stars are, I'm sure what Abraham saw was even brighter and bolder. He says, so shall your offspring be. Verse 6, Abram believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, credited it to him, Abram, as righteousness. He, the Lord, also said to him, I am the Lord, who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain. Now remember, he had said, How can I know? God says, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterward they will come out with great possessions. That's the book of Exodus. (laughs) 
You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. (laughs) You realize, let me just pause right there and say this. A lot of people struggle with Joshua's campaign of conquest in the Holy Land. They have a hard time God saying, go in there and annihilate them. Leave nothing alive. Do you realize God plays the long game in international politics? Joshua's campaign of conquest of the Holy Land is him being the agent of God's judgment on the Amorite and Canaanite peoples. It's, it's, it's this idea that it, it's not punitive, or it is punitive. It, it's, it's punishment for their sin. God is judging them in the exact same way that he used Babylon to judge Israel later. It's the same, same idea. Okay, that's what he's talking about here. Verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants, I give this land. From the wadi of Egypt, a wadi is like a ravine that fills up with water when it rains real heavy, okay? Uh, Kind of a temporary stream. From the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, Jebusites, all the ites, they're all all there. Church, here's what I think this story is telling us. Living by faith means trusting God when we can't see the way forward. Abraham's faith was forward-facing, and he trusted God even when he couldn't see the way forward. He believed the promises of God. He looked forward to receiving them. But that doesn't mean that he didn't ask questions. He did. Abraham asked questions. He wanted to know what God was going to do, and he wanted to know how God was going to do it. Can you relate? Have you been there? God, what are you doing? I know, I know you want this to be better. How are you going to fix this, Lord? Listen, asking those questions does not indicate a lack of faith. What proves Abraham's faith and what proves our faith is accepting the way God answers our questions when we can't see the way forward. That's what proves your faith. It's, it's, it's not unfaithful to ask questions of God. What's unfaithful is to not accept his answer when he answers your question. And sometimes he doesn't always answer questions the way we think we'd like to hear the answer. When we say, God, what are you doing? He says, trust me, because I'm out ahead of you on this. When we say, God, how are you going to do that? He says, trust me, because I bind myself to you. In our text for today, Abraham asks essentially those same questions. So let's look at how God answers him. When we say, God, what are you doing? He says, trust me, I'm out ahead of you on this. The first thing we can learn from Abraham's story is that we trust a God who is always ahead of us. We trust a God who is always ahead of us. Now, before we get any further into this passage, we need to talk about the structure of this text. There are two very significant pairs of phrases that that show us how Moses, as he's writing this story about 450, 500 years later, how Moses writes this uh, story. The first pair is this phrase, the word of the Lord. Did you catch that? It's in verse 1, it's in verse 4. The word of the Lord came to Abram. 
All right? This is the same language that introduces uh, the, the revelation that God will give to a prophet. And in Genesis chapter 20, Abraham is called a prophet of God. It, it, it's, you, you don't see this much in, in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Law of Moses. You don't see it much. You don't see a whole lot in the historical books uh, until you start getting more. And then when the prophets show up over and over and over and over again, you see this phrase, the word of the Lord. Okay, And it's, it, what it's doing here is it's introducing something that where God is revealing himself to a human being. The phrase appears about 130 times in the Bible. So every time you see this, as you read the Bible, your ears need to perk up because God is going to speak. Every time you see the word of the Lord, like, oh, okay, this is God talking, I need to pay attention. Right? Now that's half the structure. The other half is the way that Abraham responds. Every time in the text the word of the Lord comes to Abraham... In other words, each time God speaks to him personally and reveals something to Abraham, Abraham responds with a question that begins with this same title for God. He calls him Sovereign Lord. Did you catch that? It's in verse 2. It's in verse 8. Sovereign Lord. In Hebrew, Adonai Yahweh. Now, the, the, the title, Adonai, or, or it's, it means... Um, it can mean Lord or Master. It, it's, it, you can translate it pretty flexibly. But the title really emphasizes God's authority over everything. And that's why the NIV translates it Sovereign Lord, that he's in charge. Okay? So when Abraham asks questions, we know from his response he's not being insubordinate. He's not being unfaithful to God. He's not being obnoxious. The image in asking the question, the way he phrases it, Adonai Yahweh, that response indicates it is a servant seeking to understand his master's plan. It's a very, very respectful way. He's not being insubordinate. He's not being obnoxious. He's not trying to annoy God. He's being as respectful as he knows how to do, but he, he's seeking understanding. So here's the application for us. Being a person of faith does not mean that you never question God. It's how you respond to his answer that determines whether or not you have faith. Being a person of faith doesn't mean you don't ever question God. Look at David. Read the Psalms. Oh, my goodness. Like, if you were standing next to David in church, and he prayed some of the stuff he prays in Psalms, you'd be like, dude, I don't want to get hit with David shrapnel when God smites you, you know. It's okay to ask questions. What determines whether or not you have faith is how you respond to God's answer. So let's dig into this text. God's word comes to Abraham, and the Lord promises to be Abraham's shield and his very great reward, or that I am the reward, your reward that is very great. Now, that's a two-pronged promise. It's for Abraham's protection and, and providence, both. God is saying, Abraham, I will protect you, and I will provide for you. And so that leads Abraham to ask a question. He says, what do you mean? What are you going to do to protect and provide for me? Abraham's asking what God is going to do to fulfill his former promise, the one we talked about in chapter 13, to make Abraham's descendants as numerous as the dust of the earth. He says, I don't have a son. What are you going to do about this, God? See, when Abraham died, all his wealth would pass to Eliezer of Damascus. We don't know exactly who that is. Uh, we assume it's Abraham's servant based on what he says in verse 3. Uh, it might have been the head of his household. Remember, Pharaoh makes Joseph the head of the household? the head of his house, it's, I, it, probably that's the same thing. It's the chief servant. It's the guy in charge of all the other servants is my guess. We don't know for sure who this guy is. Probably one of Abraham's servants. 
And that was not uncommon in the ancient world. For a servant to inherit, his, when, the servant, when the master has no family to pass things on to, it passes to the next servant. That was very normal in the ancient world. That Abraham says it here as if he's assuming everyone's going to understand what he's talking about. We read it and go, what? And the original audience would have read it and went, oh yeah. Okay? So that's the idea here. His faith is focused on the future. He's concerned about how God will fulfill his promise to give him a family, because it hasn't happened yet. And the Lord's answer to Abraham's question actually lies in the very promise that God made. The, the Lord promised to be a shield and a reward. Did you catch that? He promises to be a shield and a reward. Now, I want you to think about that. What is a shield? It is something directly in front of you that protects you, right? Your shield, I mean, it's, it, you think military context, your shield is it's what's right in front of you, <laughs> protecting you taking care of you. It's immediately right in front of you, in between you and the, the hostile world in fr- out in front. Well, what is a reward? A re- reward is something way out there. A reward is something in your future, and you don't know how long it's going to be before you get it. It's, it's out there a ways. You hear what God is saying. He says, Abraham, I am right in front of you, and I'm way out in front of you. I'm protecting you from the world, and I'm, I'm already in your future he says. See, what the Lord is doing here is actually giving Abraham a a key insight into his nature, that he exists outside time. For our God, who, who is above and beyond time, every moment is the present. Okay, What God is saying here is that he's going to do something in the future. And when, when he says that, we can be sure he will because he's already there. So how can God know the future? He's there. He looks at time the way I look at this pulpit, as something separate from me. He's not in it. He's above it. He's beyond it. He's outside it. Every moment is the present for our God. And so when he makes you a promise about your future, you can take that to the bank because he's already in your future. He's there. Part of being a person of faith means that you trust a God who's always out ahead of you. There was a man who had to learn this the hard way. His name was André Francois Raffray. And on December 27, 1995, uh, he was buried in the southern French city of Arles after dying on Christmas Day of that year. He was 77 years old. He was a lawyer, and his secretary uh, told his story to the Chicago Tribune. And you wouldn't ordinarily think that the Chicago Tribune would bother to report on the death of a lawyer in the south of France. This situation was different, though. You see, back in 1965, he entered into a legally binding agreement uh, with a woman named Jean Calment. At the time, she was 90. And in France and other countries in Europe, but it's especially prevalent in France, they have a practice uh, known as uh, buying a home en viaguerre. In other words, for life. So here's what happens. Uh, a, a person will, will, will be contacted by, by an elderly person, and maybe who needs some money, and they'll say, I will, I will put you in my will to inherit my home when I die in return for a monthly stipend. So it's, it's, an, it's like additional uh, guaranteed income for the rest of your life. And so people, this is quite common. They'll do this. They'll say, well, I'll give you $500 a month, or I'll give you $600 a month, or whatever, 
in, in return for you putting me in your will so that I inherit your house. Now, if, if you're a younger person and you're talking to an elderly person, you're thinking, man, I may only have to pay six or $8,000 for this house because they they're not doing too great. And that's what this guy was thinking. She's 90, right? He's like, how long does she have? A long time, apparently. He ended up entering into a bargain with a woman who became the oldest living woman in the world. <laughs> she lived to be over 120 years old. Get this, he died before she did. Over the course of 30 years, he paid over $180,000 for this place. Never got to move in, ever. Three, he paid three times what it was worth. He died at 77. She lived to be over 120. Every year on her birthday, she would send him a card. It says, I'm sorry, I'm still alive. <laughs> I love that story because, it, I mean, it's, it's a tragedy, but it, it reminds us, you don't know the future. You don't know what's coming for you next. And some of you have had to learn that the hard way too. God has thrown you a curveball. Life has thrown you a curveball. Boy, I did not see that coming. We don't know what's out there, but God does. When God promises Abraham that he's out there, ahead of him, in the future, the text says that Abraham believed God. Paul references this passage in Romans 4.18a when it says this, against all hope, Abraham in hope, believed. The fundamental position of the Christian faith is that your ultimate future is far greater than your past. And now that doesn't mean that your immediate future is just going to be sunshine and roses as God promises Abraham here in verse 13, doesn't he? He says, know for certain your descendants for 400 years will suffer. It's going to get better, but the future's bright, but man, there's a rough road to get there. And I want to tell you, friends, your future is bright. It is eternal. It is glorious. It may not be comfortable getting there. But you need to believe that, you're, that your God is already there. God is in your future. He's already there. And so you can trust Him. Listen, this road may not be smooth, but it means that God is there, and that's enough for us. When you're facing uncertainty about your future, by faith you can cast aside fear because God himself is already out there for you. So when you, got, when you have to step into an unknown future, you are moving toward God. You are moving toward him. He's out there. That's one reason that you can trust God, that your faith can be focused on the future. There's a second reason in this text. I think it's an even better reason that we can live by faith. See, when we ask God, what are you going to do to fulfill your promise? And he responds, trust me, I'm already in your future. And so we say, okay, God, well then how, if you're already out there in my future, how are you going to do what you promised? And he says, trust me, I bind myself to you. That's the second answer. We trust a God be, who binds himself to us. Now, when I say bind myself, I'm talking about the biblical idea of a covenant. A covenant, uh, biblically speaking, is an agreement within the context of a relationship. And the ancient world was full of covenants. 
I have a relationship with you, so I will make an agreement with you. Our world is full of contracts. You do this, I'll do this. If you don't do this, I won't do that. We sign the contract, and everybody goes, okay, and then there's legal penalties if you don't meet your part of it. And, and the, the ancient world is much more relationally driven, and probably the best example we have in our modern culture of a covenant is your marriage. <laughs> it's an agreement within the context of a relationship. It's, it's the image that God has given us. When you got married, you said, I bind myself to you to the exclusion of all others, no matter what. And that's basically what's happening in this passage. Abraham is asking God for some kind of assurance that God will fulfill his promise. And he's asking for him for an insight into how God will fulfill his promise. And he says, how do I know? How will I know? And in answer to that, God commands him to prepare a sacrifice. Now, what he does here seems weird and kind of probably, if we're honest, kind of gory to us. It was a common form of sealing a covenant in the ancient world. Now, before we go any further and explain this sacrifice, there's one application I don't want you to miss, okay? Whenever Abraham speaks to God, it sounds like he's asking, he's asking questions, right? He's going, ah, uh, God, are you sure about this? I don't know. How are you going to do this? He's asking questions. But whenever God responds, the next thing is Abraham just obeys. He just obeys. So in those places in your life where you're not sure, like, God, really? Is that really what you want? <laughs> A person of faith, even though you may have questions, will just go, all right, I don't understand it, but I'll just do what you said. I, I, want, I can make you a promise this morning. I, I, I really can promise this. When you don't know what to do in your future, if you will just obey what God says, you're doing the right thing. I can promise you that. When, when you obey God, even if you don't get it, even if you don't understand, say, but the whole world is telling me this. Yeah, but do that. Because God said do that. See, his, Abraham may ask questions, but his actions are the very picture of obedience. And I want you to see a very important detail, okay? Go back to verse 5. Look at this with me. Look at verse 5. What's it say? It says, God took Abraham outside and said, look up at the sky and count the, what? Stars. What's that mean? It's night. It's dark outside, okay? So when God speaks to Abraham in this passage, it, it takes place in the dark, I'm I'm probably in the wee hours of the morning. I'm going to guess Abraham was an early riser. It's not even light out yet. God takes him outside, speaks to him, says, look up, see the stars. Okay. Now skip down to verse 12. Look at this. As the sun was setting. What's that mean? If God speaks to him when he can see stars outside, and the next time marker we have is the sun is setting, What's that mean? What it means is Abraham spent all day preparing this sacrifice. God spoke to him in the early morning, and it took him all day long to get it ready. He spent the whole day in obedience. Even though he didn't know what was going to happen, even though he didn't know his future, all day long, he obeyed. Do you have the faith to obey God, the God who binds himself to you in covenant relationship even when you don't know what the future holds. 
So Abraham works all day preparing this sacrifice. Now here's how the sacrifice worked. People in the ancient world would have brought these animals. They would have slaughtered them in a natural trough in the land, a natural kind of V-shaped place in, in the dirt. And after they cut them in, I'm sure they slaughtered them humanely. I don't think they tortured these animals. But, but after they cut them in half, the blood would drain down into this V-shaped groove in, in the surface of the ground. And then um, the two parties would walk down this blood-filled path. Let me show you an artist uh, picture of this. Um, this is the idea, that there's kind of this V-shape, and they'll take the animals, and I think they probably killed them humanely. They didn't torture them, but when they're dead, then they cut them in half and the blood drains in this and then someone will come and they'll walk down what they call the blood path. And that sealed the covenant. And the idea is, may this, the cutting them in half and blood draining out, may this be done to me if I break my covenant. That's the idea. That this will happen to me if if I break this covenant. Now tell me, church, Who walked the blood path? It was God, wasn't it? The smoking fire pot and blazing torch in the the text are symbols of God's presence walking the blood path. Remember, this is written in the time of Moses, when the people are used to the experience of the pillar of smoke by day and the pillar of fire by night. You've got a smoking uh, fire pot and a blazing torch. Those are symbols of the presence of God himself. It was God who walked the blood path. Do you understand? The text never says that Abraham did. Now, he may have. We don't know. But what the text tells us is that God symbolically walked the blood path and he bound himself in covenant relationship to Abraham. Think about that. He bound himself to Abraham. Why? Because Abraham believed God. Abraham trusted God. He had faith and God accounted that faith as righteousness. He approved of the rightness of Abraham's faith and his trust in him. As James says in James 2.23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Don't miss this. And he was called God's friend. What is that? That's relational language. That's a relationship there. God bound himself in relationship to Abraham because of Abraham's faith. Think about this. The almighty God, the sovereign Lord of the universe, will bind himself to you too if you have faith in him. Remember, we've said that faith is the lifestyle orientation of belief in, dependence on, and obedience to God. In other words, your faith is when your beliefs lead to action and your action supports your beliefs. The reformer John Huss in the 1400s was a man who believed the scriptures to be the infallible word of God and supreme authority in all matters. He died for that belief by being burned alive at the stake in Constance, Germany on his 42nd birthday. And as he refused one final plea to renounce his faith, according to history, his last words were, what I taught with my lips, I now seal with my blood. And in an infinitely greater way, that's what Jesus did for you. 
Listen, we don't trust a God who, that we have to appease or earn brownie points with. Rather, we trust a God who has bound himself to us in covenant, who walked the blood path for us on the cross of Calvary, and who is willing to suffer pain and death so that we could have a certain future with him forever in glory. Amen. His name is Jesus. And so when your future is uncertain, you have faith that God is out there. He's in your future. He's waiting for you. And he has bound himself to you through the shed blood of Jesus. See, in the final analysis, it's tempting to think that God might not be very good at answering our questions. But the reality is he's answering questions in ways we're not really asking. If we're going to live by faith, it means trusting the way God answers those questions that we have even when we don't see the way forward. Did you hear me today? Living by faith means trusting God when we can't see the way forward. Daddy, I jump! What if you did that this week? What if you live like that this week? What if in situations where you can't see the future, where you don't know what's going to happen, you just trusted God and you said, Daddy, I jump, and you just know he's out there waiting for you. He's going to be there. He's already in your future. See, faith means being certain he's out there in front of you, binding himself to you. We're going to have an opportunity to respond to what the Word of God has said to us today. Maybe you're here today and, and there's an area where you know you need to live by faith. You haven't been, you've been wrestling with that. And, or maybe God is challenging you. Maybe it's not something you ever even thought about before, but it's like, wow, I, I really need to, to really trust God in this area of my life. And, and you just want someone to pray with you. There's pray, someone to pray for you. We're going to have counselors down front who are ready to receive you. They'll, they'll have a chance to just hear your heart and pray with you and pray for you. And maybe that's your need today. Maybe this morning you need to have a conversation with somebody about what it means to say, Daddy, I jump. <laughs> to take that, that leap and just trust God with the future. Under the yellow awning is our next step room. I would encourage you. We've got leaders in there that would love to kind of be a filter for your experience. You can go and talk to them and know this is maybe how God is calling you. If you're not sure, if you just need to have a conversation, that's where you need to go in just a second when we stand and sing. And maybe you're here today and you're ready to, to just jump. Just like my little girl Eden, you're ready to, Daddy, I jump and let's go. And you're ready to begin to have a covenant relationship with the God who died on the cross in your place for your sin. You want to come forward and confess Christ as Lord and be baptized and enter into that covenant relationship with Jesus. Well, you're going to have an opportunity to do that this morning. We'll again have people down front ready to receive you. I would ask you to stand with me. We're going to sing together and you have a chance to respond at this time.